This is the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss, brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation, your external learning and development partner. Each week, we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who are subject matter experts and are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team and organization. Joining us today on the Workplace Podcast is Stefan Falk, an internationally recognized executive coach and human performance expert for top business executives, special ops in the armed forces and elite athletes. He is the author of Intrinsic Motivation, which is our topic today. Stefan, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you so much, William. It's a pleasure being here. Stefan, intrinsic motivation, if our listeners don't know what intrinsic motivation is, what is it and how does it differ from extrinsic motivation? Well, quite simply, intrinsic motivation is when you engage in an activity for the experience you get from engaging in that activity. Whereas extrinsic motivation is much more when you focus, when you do things for fame or money or those more like I would call them superficial things. Now, it's important to say that we all have both in us. Okay, the question is the balance of it. And in my experience, if if you really are to be, you know, successful, have a high level of satisfaction and, you know, whatever you want to achieve, you need to have more of intrinsic motivation than extrinsic motivation. And that's a point that you make in, in the book. If I'm in a job and I'm maybe don't really like the job, for me to be really good at the job, that I need to love the job or be passionate about it? Or is it just a helpful factor? Could intrinsic balance out the intrinsic? Say, for example, I'm rewarded with a high level of salary or? Yeah, I think, I think you know, if you don't like your job, um, I, I would say that most people that say that they don't like their job, they have not really given their job a chance, okay? Yeah. That, that's that's one of the things. And, uh, you know, any type of job, even your job as an executive coach and my job as an executive coach will entail situations or tasks or, or whatever that we don't naturally find interesting. We might even find them boring. We might find them too difficult or scary or whatever. But one thing is sure, if we don't find a way to make those tasks more exciting, more interesting, okay, we will not be fully successful. And I, and I find that almost most, most professionals I meet, they have some kind of approach to things like, you know, remember the, the old Greek philosopher Aristotle, he said that, okay, well, the stone is on the ground because that's the meaning and purpose on the, on the ground. He had no clue about gravitation. The same approach people have about work. They think actually a work task has some kind of identity. So, hello, I'm, depart- I'm a department meeting, okay, and I'm very boring. Tasks don't have any soul. They don't have any identity. It's how you think about them that either makes them boring or makes them exciting and intrinsically motivated. And that's something people need to understand. So, it, the secret is in your head. Okay, and this is, you speak about your time in the book about being a consultant, a management consultant for McKinsey. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading this, I had a little chuckle to myself because you're quite direct in your approach. So if, if I may, with your permission, quote from the book, mm-hmm. the first thing my clients discover about me is that I don't tolerate bad thinking about work or life in general. I have no use for poor excuses, lies and deceit, ignorance, arrogance, selfishness, Lack of focus on doing uh, good by others, bad intentions, fear of the unknown, or taking the easier, lazier way out when you should be biting the bullet. So it seems to me a lot of this is intrinsic motivation. Is there's a lot of 
self-accountability here and getting your mindset right? Yeah, I mean, if th- think think about it. Um, who is the only one that can do anything for yourself? Really. And the only one that you actually can at least attempt to trust, okay? Fully trust, okay? And that's going to be hard enough, you know, in a set to trust yourself because we know that, you know, so many of the things we have said that we should do that we have never done, okay? So we let ourselves down all the time, okay? So getting all what I call, you know, pollution out of your head, like blaming others for failures or thinking people are too difficult to deal with or coming up with excuses why you have not done what you said you have done is a very important thing to clear your mind. Because that is an enabler to actually put yourself in this, you know, more like mode of unlocking your intrinsic motivation. And if I can continue, uh, I, I find that if you really want to do intrinsic, make re- intrinsic motivation one of your core capabilities, which I yeah. think is highly correlated with, you know, um, unimaginable success, you know, uh, time to mastery cut in half. Uh, overall life satisfaction in all domains, uh, you ne- really need to clear your mind. And, and one one of the things I, I totally, totally just like forbid, prohibit my clients to ever have is negativity. You can't have that. If you show up, you know, being negative, you know, with me, okay, I'm eventually going to cancel you. Okay, you just need to erase that. And there is a neuro- neuroscientific, you know, explanation of this. First of all, we are much more prone to think negatively, okay? Because negativity is a pre-stage of fight or flight. So, and and then we should understand that when we are in a negative mindset, our brain works slower. So we are worse problem solvers, okay? The reason for that is that, like I said, negativity is a pre-stage of fight or flight. So what happens in that pre-stage is that the body gradually turns off all organs that it views as too energy consuming as well as too slow to be effective in a fight or flight situation and hence you know our cognitive thinking is too slow we should just react i mean if you come on to me with a hammer it's not like i can say william can you wait a while i need paper and pen and think about this situation how should i deal with it no i just need to act okay so negativity is something you just need to erase that from your life Okay, for anything. We all have negative feelings, but you need to snap out of it. It's super important. And that's the first step. That's something I can uh, agree with. I know when I was in my early 20s, this I, I used to have poor habits. And then I discovered what it mean, meant to be empowered to have that um, agency over my own destiny. And to quote the work from Carl Dweck, it's that growth mindset rather than going into that fixed mindset or that negativity bias that you mentioned there. This then allowed me to take control over my own success and not to listen to others too much or not to listen to my own negative thoughts too much. And then these became levers of success. And I know you you talk about that in the book. And I think the biggest enabler for me was to understand the role of mastery. And you talk about this in the book as well was for me overcoming, I suppose, my bad habits. A lot of it was to do with discipline mm-hmm. and overcoming procrastination. I was a mm. horrible procrastinator. I put stuff off. It was it was fear. For our listeners, then, what advice would you give to people? If they are those negative habits, then what are your thoughts on discipline and even reframing discipline? Because I know you talk about reframing then as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, your story. You know, I was exactly the same as you, mm. uh, you know, in 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 all areas in my life when I was young, except in one, and that was playing music. Okay, playing music, I was the most disciplined, the most committed. You know, I w- I was obsessed with that, uh, and I became really good at it. And of course, everything else in my life just failed. You know, my grades in school. Okay, and that's actually how I came up with this. Uh, you know, thinking about what makes music so extraordinarily fantastic, you know, and figuring out what the cognitive elements, you know, how how I thought about that, and then mm-hmm. I could apply it to school. But but I was and and I still, you know, there's there's an 
there's an imminent risk that we will lack discipline for everything that doesn't genuinely interest us, okay? So we are, at the end of the day, undisciplined creatures, okay? That's what we are. And that has to do with the fact that even though our brain rewards us for being intrinsically motivated, because when we are intrinsically motivated, we learn and develop. And that's a key survival strategy for human beings, okay? The brain rewards us even more for being lazy, to conserve energy, okay? And that, that's, that's, I would say that is the main life challenge for most people. In my case, to make almost anything interesting is that I have this personal motto, always keep deadlines and, and promises without any exception. I have a budget every year where I can be late three times, okay? And I have an average of, I don't know, 20, 25 coaching sessions a week, and I have a lot of other things going on. It just creates a natural sort of exciting tension in every day, okay? Even if, if a day doesn't have any specific, fantastic, mind-blowing experiences, just like I was on time, I did what I was supposed to do, you know, uh, there's no hesitance about that. It just makes me feel very accomplished. And also, when you have that uh, as a principle, you become really good at planning, you know. And I have another principle. So, for instance, when I when all this started now with, um, uh, you know, promoting the book, uh, I said to myself, whatever happens, it's not going to interfere with my clients. And I work with like 35 or 37 leaders at any given point. So you can imagine my calendar is pretty swamped. So I guess I'm going to be able to do both things. And that leads to another thing that leads to that I actually develop how I do my coaching because I need to sort of save time somewhere, but not lower the value, you know, of what I, what I do. So for me, keeping time, deadlines and promises is one of the core principles, okay? To always keep me disciplined no matter what I have to do. And that's one of the key learnings that I had was that we are hardwired to take the path of least resistance from a neuroscience point of view, that inertia is there. That I'm glad you're mentioning that. So say, for example, you were talking about, I'm really interested in something, which obviously has worked for me. But say, for example, I, I'm in a job, like, mm. you know, there's there's tech cuts now or something like, you know, different job losses going on at the moment. Is there a way of me reframing or make myself interested in a job? Yeah, I mean, in, in a, a job is sort of a big, big ticket item. Yeah. Uh, I think that, like my, my mentor, uh, Mihai Cheeks and Mihai, that everybody should read everything he has written because I think that he basically has the most consolidated in-depth view of the human condition that anyone had, okay? And, and I yeah. get irritated every time I read some stuff because he's already thought what I think is an original thought. But anyway, but, but he said that, you know, uh, we tend to like to be engaged in things that we have knowledge about, okay? Because probably there is something about, about the psyche. When we have knowledge about something, we feel sort of can, some kind of ownership over it, okay? Yeah. And then the, the, the cognitive bias IKEA effect comes in, okay? We, we love our own ideas. We love our own knowledge and all these things. So... If you take a job, for instance, I think it's super important that you understand, you know, how your job contributes to the overall relevance and success of the company, okay? Understand the flow of things. Because in any job, jobs are designed, in most cases, I would say, in all cases, that whatever I do, the purpose of that is to enable someone else to do something else in the simplest form help them avoid doing my work but you know there's something yeah. i'm doing i'm enabling others and and one way to to really make your job much more exciting is to continuously understand how valuable the stuff you do are for the people dependent on it okay such a simple thing as if you work with people and you deliver things to people asking for feedback frequently okay so you know, when we had this meeting now, William, um, is this, was this like according to your expectations? You know, is there something I could do better to serve you better and all these things? You know, 
that's a magnificent little you know thing you can do because there are so many synergies out of it. First of all, I learn to understand who you are, what your needs are, and so forth. Okay, which helps me to understand how I can be more relevant, create more purpose in what I'm doing. But also at some point, I might want you to do something for me. The more knowledge I have about you and your mental model and how you think about things, the more likely I am to get what I want from you. You know, do you understand? It, it's it's such a it's such. You spend you send an email to someone, you answer something. Just having a, an additional question: Is this what you asked for? Was this helpful yeah. for you? You know, it's it's we're talking about a couple of minutes. You know, after almost let's say all interactions during a day. You know, that creates purpose and meaning. So that's the, the job. Just understand the context you're in, okay? And then I think for individual tasks, um, first of all, what I'm interested in today, there is major risk I will not be interested in doing that tomorrow, okay? And the reason for that is exactly what we talked about before. It's the, the energy conserving, you know, energy in us. Because... Most people, if they don't live in an environment that really pushes them to daily develop and learn, which actually very, very few organizations have that. Very, very few. My former organization have it, McKinsey, okay? Because if you don't develop every day, you will not survive that environment. End of story. And a few others, one of my clients, you know, Navy Seeds, whatever, you know, but we, we can we can almost count these organizations on on, on the fingers of one hand in the world. So what happens when you when you engage in an organization that don't have this focus on personal professional development is that most people tend to log out when they know how to perform their tasks. They're excited in the beginning because then they are learning. But then when they psychologically feel, now I know how I'm doing this, okay? Then they log out and start to perform on habit, which means that they perform the tasks over and over again, more or less in the same way. That leads to boredom. Because now the tasks don't have any challenge for you. So it, it is about setting yourself to say, can I do this quicker? Can I do this better? It's setting yourself those 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 challenge goals, those, those set goals. Mm. And and then when we think about people at work and motivated, then I'm, I'm thinking about what's going on at the moment in the economy, especially with the tech sector that I mentioned there before. So, for example, there's a lot of uncertainty going on for certain people in their roles, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, I'm I'm not sure if I have the energy to show up today, or if I if I'm going to have a job in in three mm-hmm. weeks' time." What advice would you give to people there so they can actually stay focused and do a challenge? Mm-hmm. You know, they're struggling mm-hmm. there. What what advice would you give? My advice is that well, dealing with uncertainty is something. Um, that's the main reason. I, I think I worked with maybe 30, even maybe 40 burnout cases. Yeah. Uh, the reason was never that they worked too much. Uh, the reason was fundamentally uncertainty. It could be uncertainty about, you know, all the hours I spend at work, you know, what is actually the purpose of that and what's actually, what do I actually accomplish because they never get any feedback or they never get a sense of progress. It could be, but it could also be uncertainties outside work, you know, relationship with spouse or kids or whatever. Okay. So, and we, we can't deal with constant uncertainty. The mind is built to be certain because certainty evolutionary has sort of meant that we would stay alive, okay? We can't accept too much uncertainty. I have a few advices. The most important thing a person should know when you're under uncertainty, okay, is not to cave in to the almost natural reaction, which is non-activity, okay? I just won't want to do anything now. I just want to think about this. Because what happens when you do that you activate what's called the default, you know, mode network in our brain. Okay. And that's the network in the brain. That's the, you know, that's where we daydream, we fantasize about the future, the past and whatever. When we spend too much time in that, we start to ruminate. Okay. So when, when I, so you can try that, you know, so let's, you think a little bit about, you know, how was yesterday and maybe you think, oh, yesterday was fantastic. It was so good and all this thing. And you think more and more about it. All of a sudden you say, well, maybe yesterday was not that good. You know, this thing happened and maybe that was not according to my expectations. So 
you, you basically go down the rabbit hole when you do that. And you, so you can't, you should not do that. And, and you, you need to go into activity. Okay. And one of the activities you should partake when you're in this situation is to define some very simple, you know, goals for the workday. Some simple stuff. It does if you're low on energy, if you feel really you have anxiety and, and all these things. And I have great, great uh, compassion for that because that's not the personality trait. That's actually how our brain is built. Okay. Yeah. And I end up in these situations too. But I need to be active. I need to be active. And and one of the ways to do that, if I'm low on energy and lots of anxiety, is to set some baby step goals. Okay. So today I'm just going to focus on, for instance, answering my emails in the morning. Okay, that's it. Or read my emails even. Okay, I'm just going to read them. Okay, and then maybe I'll answer one or two of them, the most important ones. You know, small things that I feel that I'm capable of doing. But actually engaging in that goal-directed activity activates the effort-driven reward circuit in our head. Okay, which actually then makes us feel better. It also makes us feel a little bit more accomplished. And all of a sudden, the negative spiral can actually turn around. Okay, so that's one thing. If you're facing job insecurity, you know, um, uh, what's going to happen with the company? Okay, I, I recommend then that you do some kind of analysis of the situation. And, and one of the frameworks that, that has proven to be super effective is, is basically to you know, formulate the problem as a question. Will I lose my job or something like that? Or am I, am I risking losing my job in this situation? Okay. And then you, you write three headlines. Okay. Uh, and they just say, oh, will I keep my job over there? Okay. Okay. They just say one headline is, uh, you know, what am I certain about that actually is evidence that I will keep my job? Okay. What am I uncertain about, you know, in terms of whether, whether I will keep my job or not, okay? And what am I clueless about in terms of what if I will keep my job or not, okay? And, and then you write down, you know, in, in the free form, okay, everything you're certain about that, that either tells you that you're going to lose your job or you're going to keep your job and then what you believe but you're not certain about and what you're clueless about. And then you can turn the paper upside down if you have it horizontally. And then you see it becomes a bar chart and you see that you're certain about many more things that you just believe. And then you're very, you're very few things that you're clueless about. And this is a visualization of the problem with the mind facing uncertainty. It hijacks you. So even if you're certain about many, many, many things, it tends to focus on the things that you're uncertain about in that specific situation. Okay, So this gives you a balanced view. It also gives you a sense of the likelihood that something will happen. And the things that you identify that you're not certain about, but you think you can ask yourself, okay, can I get any certainty about these things? And the things you're clueless about, you can ask yourself, well, how important are these things, you know, in the big scheme of things? Maybe not. So that, you know, a mental exercise. But the most important thing here, and, and, and the sentiment is my, in my book and in my work is that you need to develop a brain that serves you well, okay? Not a brain that abuses you because the brain is actually built for a completely different time and place than we live yeah. in today. And if you let that, you know, own you, okay, it's going to abuse you, okay? It's going to make you afraid of things that you shouldn't be afraid of. It's going to make you, you know, so, so it's very important that you spend this time. So two things, keep active, have some daily goals. And then number two, if there's monumental uncertainty, do some analysis for it. So this is a lot like rewiring your brain. And and I'm sure there's a lot of neuroscience behind this. And often when I say it to clients is uh, neurons that fire together, wire together, but then there's the, the synapsis uh, is is the, the, the glue that, the brain glue that that holds the, those neural pathways together and these are all to do with habits so if i was to commit to rewiring the brain it, it seems like a big effort what you know how might i make this possible in my daily life then the, the term is neuroplasticity you know yeah that, that the brain tend to reorganize it based on how you actually push it to work okay um and 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 it actually 
to some extent, you know, rewire itself, you know, every day because you, every day is not identical to the day before, even though we might, you know, cognitively think that that's the case, but yeah. it's not. Okay, so it, it adjusts all the time. And, and it can be really, really fast. I, I remember the first thing I ever read about neuroplasticity was this experiment. I think it was at Harvard uh medical school or or uh, this 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 person i don't even remember his name the society i think he had an italian last name and what he did is that he bl blindfolded people uh you know for i think one week um to see how the brain sort of reorganized itself and after only you know i think it was a couple of days the parts of the brain that was devoted to the other senses than than uh, uh, than uh, than vision, okay, had become stronger, okay, to compensate for the loss of vision, okay, and that center in the brain that has vision had sort of started to compensate with other functions, okay, and and that's I think that's a monumental uh, you know a, a evidence of how fast it can be. Now, if you, for instance. Um, decide that uh, let's go back to this you're going to ask for feedback uh, every day from people around you uh, one of the positive effects on your brain is that that is gradually going to going to become less selfish oriented okay you're actually mm -hmm. going to build your brain to be more interested or more balanced interested in the people around you than your own selfish needs which is a super good thing for stress management because when you bring your own selfish needs to the workplace you're surrounded by people that are acting selfish also okay so there is so many people acting in a way that is completely detrimental to your selfish needs okay so but that's that's a parenthesis here so if you do that for let's say a week uh, so today I'm going to ask for feedback of the three of my interactions. You do that then 15 times. Your brain has changed. But you need to keep doing it because it's also this like um, you, you will lose it if you don't sort of use it, basically. Okay. So it, it can go super fast, super fast. It's about, you know, consistency and a little bit discipline but you're, but you're making an investment in yourself the best investment you can make is to actually develop your brain that's the best investment you can make all else is less important and all else is dependent on that and that's something that i'm going through at the moment so i'm i'm doing a bit of physical recovery now from an injury and it's, it's taken me a couple of months and it's funny when i was reading your book there's a lot of stuff I'm identifying within the book that's helping me. Uh, I didn't realize I was doing it. And I have to get up at 20 past six every morning and I have to go through, you know, 45 minutes to 15 minutes of weights, exercises. And there are people here listening in today to say, I would love to be more consistent or disciplined with my exercise routine or whatever I want to be consistent in. From from your book, I was reading about focusing on exciting outcomes and focusing on that activity-focused behavior. What's the difference between the two and what role do they play when it comes to consistency? Well, activity-based behavior is... Um, okay, let, let me take a step back. Uh, yeah. And, and, and uh, what I realized when I, when I started... Um, my journey into neuroscience, behavior science, which was mid nineties, you know, mm. because I realized that, you know, if I'm going to be successful, whether it's a McKinsey consultant or it's going to be as a leader, I need to have know a thing or two about the human mind because it's, it's all about people at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what we do. It's about people at the end of the day. And, and I realized early on that, um, and I learned about this, like this, this, this instruction for expansion, you know, intrinsic motivation and, and the instruction for saving energy. Uh, that you know engaging in work can only have two possible outcomes you know either you actually become sick from it and dissatisfied or you become successful and satisfied that's it mm. and and the question is you know what's going to be the balance that you uh, you know have within the, these two instructions if you cave into the energy saving uh, instruction 
you, you're definitely going to be sick or dissatisfied or both. And activity-based behavior is exactly what we talked about yesterday, uh, we talked about before. It's about when you learn how to perform your tasks, you then log out and start to perform them on habit. You perform activities with no sort of specific outcome in mind. It is no no outcome that excites you, that makes you rethink how you do things, that that pushes you to do better and so forth, okay? And that leads to boredom and all these things. Now, if you want to become more consistent in terms of really doing the physical exercise, um, I think my son is probably... um, a role model for you know how to deal with this. Um, uh, whenever he and he's, he's sort of in very much into this, you know, besides his university studies, but he always start by um, reading something about it. Now, now lately he started with this Wim Hof. You know, he goes to the ocean in Stockholm, Sweden. You know, he, I was there last week, and and he's like going in. And it's minus fifteen degrees Celsius, and he goes in. He comes in in shorts and and running shoes. Okay. And say hello, good morning, and I'm like oh, freaking out. But he always start by reading about it, so he beca- has, has some knowledge about okay, what is this? Why is it important? How does it affect the body? Okay, what is the starting point for people? Okay, how could they think about it? Because that he creates some kind of ownership over it. And the same thing goes if you want to do physical exercise, read about it, okay? Understand it a little bit more. It becomes more interesting for you. But also it gives you knowledge about how you can pursue it to start with. And if you know that, you can then decide and, and define you know, an exciting outcome, okay? So now I'm going to go to the gym, okay? What do I really want to achieve that would be exciting here, okay? Um, and think about that. Oh, I want to spend 10 minutes on that machine. I want to spend five minutes on that machine. And, do, and think, okay, what's going to be my plan to, to, to stick to this, okay? What continuously plan do I need to have? Because the more planning you have into an activity, the better suited you are to actually execute on it and perform well when you do it. And, you know... It's such an aphrodisiac, you know, great performance. Oh, that was so great. I want to do it again, you know. So it's very, very important not to go mindless into something new. Because I think that there are very few things that are exciting when you go into it mindlessly. I think perhaps sports could be interesting. You go and play tennis for the first time. It's a little bit fun, you know, whatever, because it's not serious either, okay? But anything that's serious, you can't go in mindless. You need to have some kind of vision for it. So that that's that's what I would propose. And then, obviously, schedule your 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 physical exercises. You have them in your calendar. You you can't you can't sort of decide on the day should I go to the gym or not, because the risk is then that your brain will come up with all the excuses in the world for not going. So, you know, oh, William, honestly, I mean, you worked out yesterday. Do you really need to work out today? I mean, yesterday was so good. And today also, you're going you, you, to have this podcast with Stefan, you know, later. Um, you, might, you might need to prepare a little bit for that. You know, there's so, so many things you could do that make so much more sense than actually going to the gym, especially when you did it yesterday. That's actually not you thinking. That's the primitive part of the brain. So scheduling things you know up front so you have it and then maybe priming your environment a little bit so it drags you into the behavior for instance putting your gym clothing and your gym bag you know ready in the morning before you go to the gym or the night before if you go to the morning you know so so everything so so you don't have to think so much about should you do it or not you just do it can can i give uh, the the listeners a couple of things there and i give them an example of my routine and what goes on in my head, and I'm I'm natural as anybody else when it comes to, you know, the, the primitive brain that goes in, and, oh, I don't want to do this, you know, especially at 20 past six in the morning. Uh, and, and just for for some of our listeners, they may not know who Wim Hof is. He's an expert on breathing. So especially if you go into cold water, breathing is going to be your friend to to manage that. So uh, well done on your son for doing that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to go along that route uh, later on. Not just yet. So I tell people about my routine. So my alarm goes off at 20 past six. 
And my alarm, how, how I have it titled is game time. Because mm. that's priming me for performance mindset. Now, I'm going through a little bit of a battle in my head. So what I have to do for myself then is to is to be disciplined with this is is focus on where I was and that mental contrasting. Where do I want to be? Uh, and and I focus on, listen, you've made progress. So it's really important for me to signal to myself I'm making progress. So I lost the muscle on my leg and I can see it coming back. And then I have an accountability partner, which is my physio. So actually two hours from now, I have a physio appointment. So I need to show her a physical evidence that I've been doing the, the exercises. I think that's really important as well. And that's that activity outcomes. I think what else is, is important for me is, is that mental contrast again to say, look, remember when I was in a, a mentally weak state and how what would life be is come summer, I'm back playing a sport that I love hurling and I'm running around in the grass. And so for me, when I am doing with weights on my leg, I'm doing push-ups and one leg up in the air and I'm doing all these weighted vests and stuff like that. All this is actually in a place where I've no choice but to look at it. It's set up easily for me. And then when I have to do different types of exercises, I put on my 20 kg weighted vest and I have to do my my lunging, my lunges and different things like that. I have it all set up. So I think a lot of what you're saying is that priming piece is is really important. And the first routine I go into is how do I overcome that that mindset straight away? And it's that discipline, I think, that has served me well over the last six months or so that I can see I'm making progress. And then I I also utilize fear. And, and you mentioned this in the book about, you know, it can be useful to overcome scars and trauma. And I found I found that chapter really helpful was if I don't do this right now, the fear is, for me, is I won't be consistent. If I'm not consistent, I'll fall back within my health and I don't want to go back there. So now I'm using fear as a motivator to help me stay consistent. Plus, how cool would it be if I can run back out in the pitch again? Mm-hmm. I mean, William, what you tell me now is nothing less than best practice you know how you prime yourself but but also if you think about it you spent quite some mental energy you know thinking about this you know how to set it up and how to cultivate it and how to maintain it and how to tweak it you know to fit your you know desired outcome you know and 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 so you really have used this what I call the expansion instruction in us. Okay, you have used your mental energy really wisely. Most people don't, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons they don't fundamentally is this energy conserving thing. But it's also that they 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 really think that it's their own thoughts they get when all the excuses come. You know, I I when I my brain is is. Of course, it's rewired, but I still have the primitive parts. So when my brain comes up with all these bullshit excuses, you know, for instance, uh, oh, why should I do this? Like, you know, promotion of the book, it takes so much time and it's so painful. And so like, and I'm rambling so much in the podcast and oh, I'm useless, all this thing. And you you don't have no ambition to be an author. You know, your, your thing is coaching. That's what you love and all, the, you know, it comes up with that. Then I just tell, oh, now it's time to watch television. I'm going to watch some messages from my primitive brain, okay? So it's not me thinking. And it's so beautiful, you know, where you can where you have developed a brain and a mindset that actually takes a step outside and look at, you know, this whiny little complaining excusing part of your brain and say, "Okay, well, you know, if I don't do it, what's going to happen?" I had exactly the same experience when I I took my driver's license for the first time in September, you know, at my age. And it went really well. I had super good instructor, uh, but I felt that every time going on to the highway here in the U.S. and then changing lanes in fast speed gave me so much anxiety. It's so much. And I, I, I was wiggling with the car and everything. My wife went to L.A. because uh, uh, my stepdaughter, her daughter, goes to college in, 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 in Los Angeles. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to rent the car. 
and I'm going to practice driving in the weekend. Okay, super good idea, my healthy part of my brain. I rented a car. The minute I had rented a car, and this was on a, on a Friday, the car was supposed to be delivered then on Saturday morning. My brain starts, why did you do that? You are so tired. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's going to be such a nice weather in the weekend. Why don't you just like take a walk in the Central Park, wedge out, be happy what you have accomplished this week? You know, why should you put that yourself in that situation? You're tired. It's not good driving when you're tired. You know, stuff. All these, these things. Needless to say, my sleep Friday night was not good. Okay. Because I was thinking about this and the anxiety taking the car, you know, driving out, whatever. Okay. Uh, and I woke up in the morning not feeling well, like, mm, should I really do this? You know, oh, well, you know, I don't care about the money I lost, you know, but I, I can just leave it in the garage, whatever, okay? But then, boom, my mind comes up. Well, wait a minute now. If you don't do this practice driving today, and you don't try to get over this anxiety of getting onto highways and changing lanes in fast speed, it means that every time you take the car with Regina and to go somewhere, you will have this anxiety. So the day before will be destroyed. You will be nervous. And the day of, you will also be nervous. Is that the life you want to have? And then I'm like, hell no. And then I went out and I drove all the way to Atlantic City, back and forth, back and forth. So now, you know, do you understand? I mean, that, that's when you have a brain that serves you well, exactly like your story. Thank you for sharing that. That That's really interesting. And another interesting piece was when I read the book is in the book, you talk about learning a language in eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Tell me about learning a language in eight weeks. How, well, how does that, that come about? Well, well that, that's not that's not me. That's one of my yeah. clients. That oh, did. sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but um, I think for her, it all started with this comment from the partner at the, the the private equity firm that that probably put the joke on her that's saying that well you know next all all staff meeting you know we're gonna have in eight weeks or whatever it was okay uh, maybe then you will present in Swedish okay and that probably I I actually know that person also and he's a little bit sarcastic you know has a yeah. sort of a little bit odd sense of humor which you don't really know if it's serious or not <laughs> okay whatever and she's like. Obviously, that's something I'm going to do. So it starts with a super commitment, okay? And and completely not taking anything of the complexity into account. And, and right away, she just like thinks through, okay, how do I set this up? Okay, uh, first of all, I'm going to refuse to speak English, you know, in these things, okay? And I'm going to get the tutor and all these things. So she basically designed a learning environment for herself, okay? That's how she did it. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating, but and and again going back to neuroplasticity, you know, there's another great evidence that if you design this learning uh, uh, environment, yeah, like you do when it comes to your physical exercise, you have designed a learning environment for yourself, and she decided a learning environment for herself to 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 learning this language in in eight weeks, you know, then it happens because your brain is unlimited, unlimited. And that's another point uh, when it comes to excuses. Uh, people talk about talent. Talent doesn't exist. It, it doesn't exist. The people should just stop believing in that. Your brain exists and it's unlimited and you should use it and it should not abuse you. That's it. In the book, you mentioned the work of um, a researcher from 1979, Langer, about the power of thought. Now, some people might be listening in here and saying, that's a whole load of psychobabble. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the evidence-based research about the power of thought. Mm -hmm. Well, there, there are several studies, and, and people should check check this out. I think her name is Ellen Langer, yeah, that I mentioned in the book. Yeah. She has a, a younger researcher called uh, Alia Crum also, and, and their research papers are already available. Uh, you can find them, you know, if you Google them. One of the examples that just like blow my mind um, is um, the, the experiment they do with, uh, I think it's, is it yogurt or something? Um, uh, and then 
the experiment is that you take you tell the test persons you're going to test you know taste two t- types of, of yogurts here okay one is going to be very healthy and not it's going to be less healthy we want to have a taste test okay with you what they actually are doing is measuring uh, the sense of you know being full and there's a specific enzyme in in the body release you know uh, whatever that if you have a high level of that you feel full if you have a low level you don't feel full so when people drink the healthy yogurt of course this enzyme is not activated so people still they don't feel full okay they they like they want to have more and when they drink uh, the more uh, like unhealthy yogurt they feel more full the trick is that it's the same yogurt okay so it means that not even does your mindset and your thoughts regulate your decision making and what you prioritize and all those things it also regulates how your body functions it's pretty amazing yeah another experiment was with the hotel maids um and being a hotel maid at a hotel is a pretty demanding you know from a physical exercise standpoint you know making beds and vacuuming and doing all these things okay so what they did they gathered i think eight-ish you know like hotel maids and sat down and talked to them and say okay so how much physical exercise do you do and most of them said well uh, we don't have time to do that you know i you know when i have time over you know after work I, i might do it and so forth okay then they measured you know the body fat you know the weight the blood pressure and all this of this 80 Half of them just went back to work. The other half got a one-pager, basically just describing how many calories you burn when you make a bed in general, how many calories you burn when you vacuum a room and so forth. Okay, just got information about that and then went back to work. They came back, I think, two weeks later. (laughs) And the group that got the information about how much calories you burn, they had lost weight improve the blood pressure and so forth the other group had not so knowledge and they did another test with stress i don't think i mentioned that and that had i think it was it from investment banking some kind of high pressure environment where people are super stressed everybody answered the questionnaire how stressed are you basically and everybody's super stressed one group they divided them in three groups there were many people one group got information about three videos times three minutes on the negative effects of stress Another group got uh, three times three minutes videos on the positive effects of stress, that you learn more and that you achieve more and all these things. And the third group got no information whatsoever. (laughs) Obviously, the group that got the positive information on stress, they felt they had achieved more, they have done better things and all these things were more on top of things. And the group that got the negative stress, they were like super stressed, you know, and it's like unbearable. And the group that got non-information was no change. It's all it's all information. Isn't that the power of reframing as well as as how we view things? I give you an example. A couple of years ago, um, I was uh, asked to do stress management workshop, and this is actually nobody's going to attend that, so we have to uh, rename it. Can you come up with a name? So I had to rename it as the art of resilience, and and. and full attendance or it's a bit like some people didn't want to go to time management because it was you know too old of a term however they would approach the exact same workshop if it was named personal productivity the whole sort of priming area is uh, you know if i would make a re-entry as an executive today um, because when i was an executive the first thing i did with people this is many years ago was to educate them about how the mind worked and then secondly say that the number one priority we have is personal professional development that's that's on top of uh, our business goals because our business goals we will only reach them if we everybody develop every day and do something better every day because the goals are beyond where we are so that's that's what and i had required reading and that's that's part of you know what dan pink wrote about in drive so i had required reading for, for leaders in the organization stuff they had they simply had to know if they didn't want to do that, okay, good. You cannot be a leader. End of story. Okay. Um, and uh, if I would make a re-entry now, there is a book that I would require everyone to read, and that is "Before You Know It" with John Borg. Before you know it. Yeah, before you know it. And and who is the author again? John Borg, B R G H. He's a social. Uh, psychologist i i think 
but he has, he has tremendous examples of, of this thing, you know, that, that words really matters. It's it's magnificent. It's it's super good. And it's it's basically a book about um our unconscious mind and how our unconscious mind actually uh, <laughs> actually decides most of our outcomes because it works 24-7 and and it's primed to actually help us solve our problems and, and you know make decisions for us and all these things. And very often when we have done something, um, we rationalize with our conscious mind after. <laughs> and you mentioned Dan Pink there, and I'm sure our, our listeners will be fascinated by this. So your work was quoted by Dan Pink. So Dan Pink uh, wrote a book called Drive, and a big part of that was he, he talked about people motivated by mastery, autonomy and purpose mm. uh, so your your work was quoted by dan mm-hmm. is that right yeah 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 from two of my executive positions um, and i think uh, and and the origin of that is that he, he wrote about my mentor mihai cheeks at mihai uh, and mihai cheeks at mihai one of his claims to fame is that he he sort of came up with this idea of flow which is the highest level of intrinsic motivation. That's when you let lose sense of time and and you you're completely immersed in what you're doing. Okay, and and all your fears are out. And it's like a complete feeling alive experience. Okay, uh, um, and uh, and I applied many of the principles uh, that I learned from um, Sheikh Samihai in my work as an executive. It goes back to what I said. You know, educating people uh, about the human mind. Uh, and uh, and then having some basic principles for how leaders should manage themselves and manage their people. Okay, for instance, you know, having very clear individual goals. Okay, that integrated both what needs to be done and achieved with you know development. Okay, so people actually develop integrated in in their work not as it is in most companies you send someone to a training that's not bad but that's not actually development okay Uh, development happens if you use that training actually in your work which most people actually don't do especially when you go to a leadership training okay so there was a lot of things and how to engage and how to talk to people to understand you know um, uh, more how to get more potential out of them so there was like a whole program we had uh, we had I think one one of the things as an executive I'm most proud of, I, I created sort of a leadership academy um, that, um, that was super tight. Um, and then, you know, so there was a whole system about, you know, how we did people reviews, how we did organizational reviews, you know, bottom up in the organization and so forth. So it was a, a pretty unique case. And that's what we wrote about. We'll go back to your book here. And some people might say, listen, uh, you talked about this where you would give someone Dan, Dan Pink's book Drive to read. Uh, how would you respond to someone who might say, listen, I've too much to do. Like, like I'm I'm completely overwhelmed by this. This is this is not a need to do. Well, um, um, chances are the person would not respond to that like that to me, okay? <laughs> Uh, no, but I, you know, I, I, you know, and I think you know we can talk about leadership too because that's also an area where, where I, I uh, have pretty, you know, firm opinions about. I, I view leadership as good leadership is is very, very, it's not very different from you know really good parenting, um, and uh, that means that you of course need to exercise care and support, but you also need to exercise you know demand. Uh, and 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 push because at the end of the day you want your kids to grow up to be independent, self-sufficient, you know, individuals with good judgment. Okay, so that means a fair fair amount of tough love that you need to give them, and and the same goes for adults because uh, we call ourselves adults, but you know, we are born incomplete and we will pass incomplete. And and the only difference between real kids and grown-up kids, so to speak, is that real kids are more charming, more creative. And, and more well-intentioned than grown-ups, okay? That's the difference, okay? So there, it's more, I love to deal, you know, work with teenagers and so, which I do sometimes pro bono. Uh, but, but, you know, the way I would talk about it today is I would, I would sort of, for, first of all, if you say that you have too much to do, what you are telling me is that you don't have time to do other stuff 
because you are busy doing all the things you are supposed to do the same way you have always done them. So this is a perfect opportunity to rethink how you do things. Okay, uh, and 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 I probably would 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 um, ask people today in the organization to have a couple of other proxies to test how they think about their work. One is the the world of sports. So if you think about the activity-based behavior where people basically learn, you know, to perform the tasks in one way and then they repeat, repeat, repeat it. It's like Rafael Nadal would learn how to hit the perfect backhand from one spot on the baseline, you know, in, in the middle of the court, okay? Yeah. And when the opponent then hits a backhand somewhere else, you know, or hits a ball somewhere else, so he needs to hit the backhand somewhere else from, uh, from the court, he would then say, hey, stop, stop, stop. I cannot do that, okay? Uh, that, that, we need to replay the point, share umpire. Please, please, please. Imagine that in Wimbledon, you know, happening. No, it will not happen. So constantly experimenting with how you perform your tasks in order to make you more flexible. So when under pressure, for instance, saying that, okay, William, it usually takes you three days to do this, but, you know, I need to have this, like, you know, by tomorrow morning, okay? you have a sense of, okay, given the changed circumstances, okay, how can I still perform this task in a way that actually delivers an okay result, okay? That's flexibility. Because, and, and here we come to the really sad part of acting on habit, is that we over time don't really know how we perform things for the simple reason that we don't think. So obviously, if I perform most of my tasks on habit, and don't know really how I execute them, and then I'm asked to produce something more or better, it's extremely stressful for me. Yes? Yeah. So my my final question will be to you, and we started off with bad habits. One of the bad habits might be might be my hyperactive inner voice. How do I how do I manage that? How do I keep it in check? There are many, many things you can do. And, and this is the, I would say, the, the $100 trillion question, okay? How do you make, how do you create a better balance, uh, you know, between the conserving energy part of yourself, you know, the primitive brain, whatever, and then this more expansion? You will never, ever be able to erase the energy saving part. You shouldn't, okay, because it's important, okay, but a little bit better balance, okay. In it. So, what I'm working on always is to how do I make all the things I want clients to do as energy efficient as possible upfront? They can't be too demanding, they can't be too demanding. And, and one, of, one of the ways I find in, I would say, 90% of the cases very useful is some kind of form of daily journaling, okay? Where you, uh, so if you're, if you're a person that, um, depending on, because it's so flexible, because you can journal on what, based on whatever need you have, if it's to erase negativity, if it's to erase blaming others, if it's... Um, uh, erasing um, uh, not being open to uh, people with different beliefs, whatever it is, okay, you can then decide, okay, I'm going to close every workday and see how did I do it, you know, in these dimensions that I want to change. That's a very, very simple way to do it. Um, so in the book, I mentioned stuff like what is always good to daily, your gratitude of things. Okay. What am I grateful for today? You know, at the end of the day, could be simple things like, no, not simple, very important, like I'm healthy. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, it could be big things, could be small things, whatever. Okay. Because reflecting on gratitude is really good for your mental health. Okay. Um, this is one of the reasons why, for instance, religious people, have a much much better mental health than non-religious people okay because they have they they practice you know most religious people practice gratitude gratitude for life gratitude for having meaning having purpose and all these things so that's one good thing but i i would something that pushes you to reflect upon yourself every day is a very good practice to start with you know to 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 understand your inner voice to understand 
you know, what is you thinking and what is your inner voice thinking, for instance? Yeah, I might add to that. So journaling, when I've done research around this, is sometimes when they do uh, pharmaceutical trials uh, for mental health, they also put in journaling uh, is in there as well sometimes. And the efficacy of journaling can sometimes be as high as the placebo effect. You know, which is which is is quite remarkable. Uh, again, I, I I practice that gratitude piece quite a bit, and sometimes um, I get tired of writing, so I do mind maps. And when I do mind maps, then it allows me to problem solve. It is creative, and I'm able to view things from a an objective point of view and then I go back into my coaching it's, it's it's a bit like you know you have a different voice then coaching you and and I found that really helpful in times of uncertainty in times of stress um and that's something that was immensely uh, valuable to me and I had a a notebook beside my bed so for example if I did wake up in the middle of the night and it helped me go back to sleep it was just like you know um which, which was, and then obviously, if I was sleeping better, then your mental health is going to be better. So yeah, so I found these things uh, really useful. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I, I think that, you know, I, I can just look at myself. Uh, I go in and out of methods, but there is always a method. Okay, mm. so so whether that is a very light touch method, because you know, I mean, uh, you know. I listen very much to myself, you know, my energy level, you know, my sentiment about stuff. I, I, I try to regulate that, that, of course, if my sentiment is not good. But, but you know, and then I adjust the methods I use for that. But, but, but the trick is the word daily, okay? Mm -hmm. The trick is the word daily. Do something daily. And I think one of the... And this is something they should teach at school. I even contemplated, uh, you know even in kindergarten, uh, teach critical thinking, you know, logical thinking to people, where you actually are able to have a thought pattern that helps you understand, you know, the validity of your thoughts, you know, that comes up in your brain, okay? Um, you know, a simple thing when you read a newspaper article, which, you know, I... Media has always been media, okay, and that means that you know, five hundred words, okay, you know, you can't make sense of any type of topic in five hundred words, okay, and you need to be selective, and there's always some kind of bias like that. Always asking yourself, you know, okay, what really needs to be true for this article and its claim is is completely true, and then after thinking a little bit, you come up. Mm, it could be partly true, but it's probably not, you know, 100% true. And you can do the same thing, you know, with your thoughts. In the book, I'm, I mentioned the five questions, the only five questions you need to answer in order to understand any type of problem, as well as, you know, question your own thinking. And that is, what is the problem? How big is the problem? Which is probably the, the universally most important question anyone can ask themselves. Okay, how big is the problem? Unfortunately, no one asked that question. And that's also one of the reasons why 80% of the problems people work on in organizations are either non-existent or less important than other problems or addressed in the wrong way. Okay. So, and then, you know, what, why, does the, why does the problem exist? What are the alternative solutions and what's the best solution? If you program those questions in your head and then look at yourself and your own thoughts, uh, you will tame your hyperactive inner voice over time. I mean, I have those plugged in, in my head. It's it's like neuroplasticity yeah. in my head. I think, so when I meet a client and clients start to talk, everything the client says, I, I file in five buckets, you know, which are the questions. And then usually I say, well, I don't really understand what the problem is you're talking about. And there's absolutely nothing said if it's a big problem or not. But there's a lot of root causes here, okay? And then there is a solution, one solution. So I don't understand what the solution is aiming to solve. That's a typical, and that's a situation also in an executive team when I listen to them, what they talk about. So I personally, I personally have one thing. And that is whenever I feel completely certain about something, 
I get the biggest red alert in my head. It's it's like it's like like imagine like the, the yeah. alarm on a nuclear plant. You know, it's like because yeah. now I'm risking to just avoid any type of data or observation that defies you know the thing that I'm certain about. I'm starting to be emotionally intoxicated by my own idea or by my own certainty because certainty is such a psychologically nice place to be in now yeah. i know okay so th then i cultivate doubt 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 so it is about sometimes recognizing that how is this thinking serving me mm -hmm. and 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 i love that question that i'm often um i work with a person who often says that to me how is that contributing serving you and sometimes actually that doubt voice is actually there to protect you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it's a bit like you know it's protecting you from overconfidence to go into that safe zone of of certainty and it's about i suppose self-compassion where that hyper active inner voice is is compassionate to say we're trying to shield you and then it's about being the, as you said about your you know teaching your son to be a, a critical thinker and independent you know, it is to say, okay, does this serve me? Or actually, no, it doesn't. I need to drop that. You know, so I think I think that was a a very, very insightful time uh, that, that I've spent with you and our listeners, I think, have taken so much from that. Stefan, thank you so much. And if people were to find more about you, your coaching, your book, how might they do so? They can they can visit my my webpage. It's learn to love your They they find some information there and they can also contact me through through that. Learn to love your And your book is that when is that released? It was released uh, I think four weeks ago. Excellent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and they'll be able to find that in all all bookstores and, and outlets. I think in 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 the UK, uh, in the US, it's called intrinsic motivation, uh, and I think in the UK, it's called motivation. Uh, okay, but but the subtitle is the same: learn to love your work and succeed as never before. So I'm assuming Ireland is going to be motivation as well. Well, um, I I don't know, but most most likely, most likely. Brilliant, Stefan. Thank you so much for joining the Workplace Podcast. It's been a pleasure. It's been a complete pleasure, William, and, and I look forward to engage again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss. Our special thanks to this episode's guest for sharing their expertise with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please download and share it. For updates on future episodes and to get in contact with us about any workplace topics, please follow Yellowwood on LinkedIn and Twitter at Different Paths. As always, you can head over to yellowwood.ie for any other information. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider of executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organisation.